G'day, podcasting friends of the show. Before I kick off into the episode I'm about to release, a bit of housekeeping. The ratings drive always continues. Ratings and reviews is the currency that we here at Ideas Digest um, are really growing our wealth in. Let me, because the Olympics uh, has just been on, let me go through as... I've mentioned before, different countries isolate the reviews on their versions of the Apple podcasting website. So Australia, I believe Australia is in the lead, but also not in the lead. We've got 83 ratings from our Australian audience, but we have a ranking of 4.9 thanks to that one one-star review that's still just eating at me. If we head over to the US, a very competitive country in the Olympics, of course, they are behind on 69 ratings. Um, come on, America. I expect I expected more. However, I'm five stars in America. So Americans seem to like me more than Australians. I like that. I like that. And then to the people who, you know, I always feel like I click with, the Canadians, uh, smaller Canadian audience there, got 18 uh, ratings and reviews here. But guess what? Canadians hate me the most. It's 4.8. I need a, I need a, I'm trying to see all the reviews, sorry, but I can't see these one-star ones. I'm, I'm lost. Obviously, there's a couple of one-stars. I can't see them. I don't know why. I'll try and dig and find them and read them and cry later at night. Um, and then over the ditch to New Zealand. Let's take a quick look. Bloody Kiwis. Um, here we go. Uh, four ratings. Well, there's probably only 10 people in New Zealand anyway, so that's a pretty good number there. <laughs> I joke, New Zealand, you're, you're great. And you also love me. I've got a five stars there. And what a review this great New Zealander friend of the show left. Let me let me read it to you to pump my own tires to feel better about myself. As I think about those one-star reviews, I don't know what they say. But here's a five star from good friend of the show, Blair Coyle. Um with the title, This Is What Real Unbiased Dialogue Sounds Like. Wow. Conrad, that's me, does an incredible job, not just a good job, an incredible job, at the host maintaining a neutral position while asking excellent questions to dissect a wide spectrum of ideas in a polarized and divided world. These are the conversations we need to hear. Well, at my best, I hope that is the case. I understand I might fall shy, I might miss questions, I might let slip a bit of a bias here and there. I do my best. I'm glad at least one Kiwi in New Zealand um, sees what I'm trying to do. So thank you for your reviews. If you haven't reviewed it, guys, would love it if you did. It allows more reach for the podcast so I can bring more conversations to you, the friends of the show, that are real. Are the real reason I do this show. At the moment, I have been getting great suggestions for the Islam ex exploration I'm, I'm diving into, and it is well over my head, so prepare for that one. And witches has come up, so looking into some, some witches there. I'd like to get into Buddhism, Hinduism, see and explore some of these worldviews. And as I keep doing this, guys, I'll be honest, help wanted. I struggle to host, edit, post on just one social media, well, two social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram are the ones I'm running at the moment, edit the podcast, and I need help. So if any of you out there in podcast land like what I'm doing and want to join the crew, you will be paid in 
gold medal emoji tokens because let's face it, I can't quit my real job yet or, or in the foreseeable future. But it would be great to to catch up with some of you guys and, and get some help and, and build this thing as a bit of a team. So if you want to manage social media, maybe chop some edits together, maybe help me find guests. I don't know. What's your expertise? I'd love to meet you and work together on the Ideas Digest project that is slowly but steadily growing. Um, and all the housekeeping done, everything ticked off the chores list. Enjoy the episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that connects us. My name's Conrad, and if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. Very, You're very welcome here, but a quick heads up. If this is the first episode you're tuning into, which is often for many people as they come across the show, this this could be their very first one. So welcome. And if you're enjoying the episode so far, it's a bit early to tell, but if you end up enjoying it and you're thinking, man, I like this, I like this podcast. It's presenting me with all these great ideas. Well, first off, I am very glad you're enjoying it, but don't get too comfortable because my goal is actually to present you with some ideas you're more likely to disagree with. And the goal of this show is to see if you can listen to the episodes you most disagree with. Can you make it to the end of one of those? Just as you easily make it to the end, or end of the episodes that you agree with. If I believe that if you stick with the practice long enough, you might enjoy the episodes you disagree with more than the ones that you actually agree with. I can't guarantee it. Don't take it to the bank, but give it a crack and let me know if it happens. If you make it to the end of an episode you agree with, send me a message on Instagram saying, hey mate, I made it. And I'll say, congratulations. And I'll give you a bit of kudos and pump those tires. Disclaimer out of the way. Uh, time to introduce our new friend of the show. New friend of the show... Pasta Tish. Now I've slipped pasta in there. I've given given something away to help the next segment. But Tish, thanks for joining Ideas Digest. No, thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure to be here. We've spoken once or twice before, but let's say, you know, I do know where you're from. You're from like St Kilda, Melbourne, yeah? Yeah, well that's that's where the church is. I actually live in the inner north though. Don't hold it against me. Oh, in the north. Yeah. Oh, I used to, I used to be from the north yeah. uh, of Melbourne a few years ago. But let's say we're in the north somewhere. Uh, maybe Essendon. Is that is that roughly near you? Uh, no, more sort of like Carlton, North Brunswick area. Okay, let's. Okay, oh Brunswick. Yeah, right. Got yeah, some stereotypes funny. there. <laughs> okay, so let's say we're walking down Brunswick and, and we're, we're getting a coffee and I, we bump into each other. I'm like, oh, Pastor Tish, oh, it's nice to meet you. My name's Conrad. Introduce yourself as you kind of casually cocktail party, just grabbing a coffee. How would you introduce yourself? Yeah, well, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd always say, I wouldn't be like, hi, I'm Pastor Tish, because that always just sounds quite <laughs> creepy. Uh, <laughs> Let me pray I'm for you. people. <laughs> Oh, it's not a good like it's such an awkward job to have as like a coffee introduction because people it comes with so much baggage and assumptions but I'm sure we'll um, get to some of that later but yeah no I would say you know if people ask me what I do I'm um 
I'm delighted to be a pastor at St Kilda Elstonwick Baptist Church. They're a, a gorgeous, um, radical, beautiful, messy bunch of folk that I'm, I'm delighted to get to um, work with, like for a job. It's pretty um, amazing um, that they pay me to hang out there. Um, I um, am still actually studying. I'm still finishing off my Masters of Divinity. Um, I am uh, a dog mum to an elderly greyhound um, who's um, who's mostly a pretty good girl, but, you know, fowls get harder as you get older. <laughs> but she tries. Yes. And how old is how how old's the greyhound? She's about to turn ten. Oh, and for a larger dog. Yeah, I was gonna say for a greyhound, old, yeah, it? she's going a little bit blind and her legs like wobble a little bit when she oh. squats now. Oh. But she's a oh, she's a sweetheart. Dog. Um and then I have a I have a wonderful partner who I've been with for three and a half years and she's lovely. Um, her name's Tegan, and uh, she also has a cat called Rosie, who's also elderly and who I adore. Great, great introduction. I feel like I've got an insight into your family home with your, your pets there. Yeah, Tegan imagine and a lot Tish. of plants Is as well, your... and you've got a pretty good picture of it. <laughs> Tegan and Tisha, that's a pretty catchy couple name, I think. Yeah, I like catchy, but also there. confusing because everybody calls us the wrong mm. names constantly. And one time I even referred to yes. Myself as Tegan by accident, so I can't even <laughs> tell other people off anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's when. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I've got to confess something. I was going to say Tegan, but no, no, Tisha, I got this right. <laughs> um, I I got to confess something. We've just met. We're just talking. I've heard you. You know, tell me about your life, your career, and thing. Mm. I've been making some judgments. I've been I've been just formulating some judgments over here. Yeah, go for it. But in instead of Instead of running away with my assumptions and judgments of you, mm. I'm going to put them to you and you can correct me where I'm wrong. So I'm going to confess my judgments to you. How does that sound? Sounds great. Go for it. I'm curious. Okay. An easy one. <laughs> an easy one to start with. You're talking like Brunswick. All right. So to our American listeners, Melbourne, pretty, pretty it's like the Seattle of Australia. <laughs> Crappy weather, good coffee. And a bunch of hipsters, Brunswick, Tish, you've got to be some Melbourne Brunswick hips, Brunswick hipster. Do you want to know a, a very, uh, a confession? I don't actually drink coffee. Yes. Wow. Mm. Wow. Do not tell anyone on Brunswick. No, no. Street quite, that quite, that is the yeah. case. But I do drink a soy chai, so I feel like that, you know. <laughs> as long as you drink a soy anything they'll accept you back into yeah, the yeah. fold no, it's all right. almond milk or soy go the soy go the soy mm. yeah well while we're confessing things Tish neither do I so you're very welcome oh, here on Ideas Digest I haven't I haven't fit in for years so it's great to have someone I can have a soy chai with uh, it makes it so hard to recommend cafes though because I only know about the chai or hot chocolates <laughs> Yes, that's. Oh, I mean, I would appreciate those recommendations. Yeah. Okay, that's the e that's the easy one. Which I feel like the answer is yes, considering you order a soy something. I mean, I'm gonna go yes. Yeah, I yeah. sure. If, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other people have said um, I wouldn't use that descriptor. I don't really care. <laughs> okay, so I've got now conflicting images here mm. and I'm going to go with the assumption of either depending on how much information you might divulge to somebody they might formulate different assumptions so they might go pasta all right pasta so you've got to be one of these 
conservative Bible bashing Christians, like a pastor, you got to be one of them. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. Love the Bible. (laughs) Not very good at bashing. Won't bash with it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, most don't think of me as very conservative. (laughs) Ah, okay. Well, we might come to that in a in the next assumption that goes. You said you had a partner. Mm -hmm. Tisha's your name. Tegan's her name. So you are in a same-sex relationship then? Yes, I am. Yeah. So you're in, you're in a same-sex relationship um, and you're a pastor. We'll ignore the pastor thing. Mm-hmm. Or oh, actually, maybe we can keep that there and go, you must then be part of what some might deem, and you can define it how you like. You may have heard it before, the quote, gay agenda. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Great. <laughs> okay. I got it sent in the mail when I came out. Came with rainbows. You got the pamphlet. Yeah. How do you how do you sign up for got that? My gay card. Well, it's just when you come out, just like all of these alarm bells start dinging in the in the gay agenda office and out. Oh, yeah. the head office. Like, it's that like in Harry Brunswick? Potter when you turn eleven and like you know the owl sends you, you a letter, the, oh. and somehow yeah. Hogwarts just magically knows. Sort of similar. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, okay, yep, we'll leave, we'll let people as, as, assume the assumption whichever way they want to fall on yeah, that Yeah, um, All right, then. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm enjoying the sarcasm. It's Sorry, um, I can't help it. <laughs> it's the lowest form of wit, but, you know, it's where I find myself, so. Uh. Sometimes I do this segment with some other people and they don't get the sarcasm of it all. And I, normally I would... I would have stereotyped Americans don't understand the sarcasm as, as much. However, it was one of my Australian guests on the show that really didn't take too kindly to, I thought I was joking. I was trying to smile and be like, Hey, these are just some assumptions, but he didn't appreciate that. So anyway, uh, I appreciate you being a good sport. Last one. Uh, okay. So you're a pastor. You got your glitter letter of the gay agenda in the mail. You must have your instructions on what to do next. Obviously yeah, you get yeah, the yeah. weekly, the weekly update. Yeah. Um, you must be then, and you. Uh, I wonder how often you've heard this. We'll see if some line up with the one, with the assumptions you receive. <laughs> you, you must be just picking and choosing what you want out of the Bible. You're clearly not following the Bible properly, mm. and you must just be picking and choosing. Yes or no? Um, I would say yes and no. Because mm. um, there's a lot of bits that yes. I would throw out for convenience and comfortability, but that I don't. But then I all think, but I think that we all come to the Bible with certain sort of biases. So we kind of can't help but come and pick certain things. Every time you open it, you're picking where you're reading from. So, Right. So you would say no more than anybody else, which in a way is kind of like a no. Yeah. Let's go with a no. That seems more fun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, and I'm open to revision considering normally we do episodes live. We're mm. not doing this episode live. And so that, so my clickbait is open to revision. Mm. I actually, before we get to the clickbait, tell me about some assumptions that you've encountered so far being a pastor or a pretty unconventional pastor in a pretty divided world over like same sex mm. marriage and well, same sex relationships. I mean- I've only been a pastor for nine months, so I started being a pastor during coronavirus. So I haven't actually been out in the world that much as a pastor <laughs> because there's been a lot of lockdown and other things. So I'm only just now sort of venturing out 
and navigating that. Um, so, but I have been sort of like a theology student and a pretty sort of vocal-ish queer Christian um, for, you know, a bit much longer than I've been a pastor. And there is a sort of lot, um, I think often people are just really curious. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, there's very few people, I would say, who sort of go, at least in the queer community, who go, oh, no, 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 you can't be a pastor. Um, or you can't be a, a Christian. And usually that's just coming from a place of misunderstanding or trauma or hurt um, or of only having ever seen a narrow view of Christianity presented. For the most part, I find the queer community is kind of really excited and curious and intrigued. Um, and I use queer as an umbrella term for the LGBTI plus community. Um, and then I probably find a little bit more difficulty in the Christian world. Um, I love my Christian siblings, um, but sometimes they're a little bit difficult and they I don't feel the love back as much as I would like. Um, so some of them get much grumpier um, by my um, existence and, and by my position. So is it a subtle thing you pick up? from Christians that you're around that you've that you just you're vibing they're not really that open or warm or is it more of an open hostility um oh look it varies you know pe- you know people like to shake it up so you know I get a bit of everything yeah. so that's right nice. right <laughs> well probably you know, not variety but... is the spice of life <laughs> keeps me on my I guess toes. sometimes you've got to have sometimes too much spice can I'm a I'm a young yeah. woman I'm a young queer woman in ministry I've got to have thick skin <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll check back in later, like in ten years. And see <laughs> yeah, see how, it's how, going. That, how that skin's <laughs> holding up. Um, okay, well, on onto like the clickbait then, and I'm open for revision, uh, Tish. So if you have any um, any ideas as as we talk, we can we can uh, fiddle with it as we go. But the one I got was, don't pray the gay away. Don't. Uh, it may mislead. Mm-hmm. It might. I don't know. Well, we'll see what the conversation unfolds. <laughs> it's open to revision. So, I mean, I'd say pray for the gay. No. <laughs> no, well, okay. <laughs> no. Well, okay. I mean, that was a bit tangy. Yeah, that could bit of a joke. Yeah, I mean, don't pray the gay away. I mean, I, but that's I, what makes good I had a really good go at it. Um, bit of a bit of, not a very good success story for me there. Um, yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of pray the gay away. Yeah, yeah, which I, I might have might have assumed as much. So I'm glad you verified that assumption that I had. Um, as as Victoria, and this is kind of the, what we're exploring a little bit on Ideas Digest, uh, as Victoria, and I guess most of Australia, pushes through, and it probably, it, it comes into the news cycle when it hits like different inflection points. The gay conversion therapy bill. You'll go on the internet, there'll be articles like a year old saying, oh no, here it comes. And then probably three or four months ago, I think Victoria just passed it, or maybe two months ago, one month ago, Victoria just passed it. And then there was another kind of resurgence there. And I was doing some searching around and I was curious as to what are the different perspectives around this bill? There's obviously a massive pushback from the religious community that seem to hold the narrative, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit more, seem to hold the narrative, this is an assault on their religious freedom. This is an assault on their ability to practice their religion how they want to practice it. However, 
there's a portion of who what you're referring to as the queer community and yourself who also sits within the Christian community mm, and saying... there's many of us who sit within faith communities more broadly than just the Christian community. Oh, yes. Excellent uh, broadening of that term there because that's that's probably right. And so you guys would view this... Well, I guess that's my question. How do you, someone who is in the church, someone who is part of the queer community, how do you view this bill that has just passed with... I guess a lot of debate and controversy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the view, I think the bill um, is fantastic. I think it's a world-leading bill, and that as a Victorian, I'm I'm actually really proud of it. Um, I think it's um, quite an incredible piece of legislation. Um, so I'm in, you know, team fan of the bill, basically, um, and I'm a fan of the bill not just as um, a queer person, but also as a pastor, I think um, pastoral care and having a duty of care um, to people is something like it's something that I take really seriously. And I think this bill actually really fits in with sort of my ethics of pastoral care. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a great bill. I think you've outlined two interesting areas to look at. When you say, okay, when you say it's a it's a good bill and you're a fan. Mm. So it seems like you're, you're talking from two perspectives there, especially being a past, like you're talking about with pastoral care. Mm. What do you think then is good about the bill and, and uh, parts of the bill that you really think is important that you support from the perspective of the queer community? And then perhaps after that, the pastoral care side of it. Mm. Well, I mean, I think they're intertwined. Um, so I'm going to find it hard to separate them out. So, Okay. I'll just yeah yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I really love that the bill does up sort of the top of the bill is it talks about how LGBT plus folk are not broken, and that's really important to name that, and like really amazing that a bill names that. Um, and I think as um, a pastoral person, that's like one of the most powerful things that I can say to the queer community and one of the most powerful things that has been said to me is that you're not broken you're not disordered you are beautiful and whole and loved um and that is life-changing stuff um and then the bill goes sort of to back up that message by sort of practical legislative points um and so yeah, I think it's a good bill also because it has a wider view of conversion practices than just this idea of sort of a really narrow conversion therapy. So we say conversion practices because um, uh, it's it's such like a giant system that's telling people that they're disordered and broken and trying to change them or suppress them. Um, rather than just these sort of very specific therapeutic or pseudo-therapeutic ideas that people have, you know, those really dramatic stories of somebody getting sort of gay conversion therapy and electric shock or something. And those those stories do happen um, and they're still happening, maybe not so much the electric shock in Victoria anymore, but there's still some pretty horrific things are happening and, and we meet the survivors of them all the time in the queer Christian community. Um, they're coming to us weekly, um, but 
we um yeah so i think what the victorian what's one of the good things about the victorian bill is that it is quite sort of wide reaching and it sees it as more than just sort of very narrow from a very narrow therapeutic lens did that sort of make sense i kind of rambled a bit there <laughs> no i i think you outlined it pretty pretty comprehensively and to continue digging into what you're talking about there, uh, I think what I found interesting is that you're saying at the top of the bill, mm. which is a piece of government legislation, it outlines what you're saying essentially mm. that if you are part of the queer community, you are not broken. Yeah. I think for many... Uh, pretty i would i would say maybe blind people like myself walking through the world as a straight white male just do 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 i might be completely unaware of what stories are being told that someone in the queer community is hearing that say you are broken mm. and you aren't how you're supposed to be mm. where where are those stories told like are they told both inside the church and outside the church yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they are. I mean, it has gotten so much better even in my short lifetime. And, I mean, I can now marry my partner. Um, and so even just, like, little things like that, but, like, I couldn't when we first started dating. Um, and so even just sort of little things like that of going, well, obviously your relationship's not real if you can't take that step like everybody else can. And... Um, so even sort of, you know, the outside world or like I have to think about where I travel in the world because in a lot of countries it's illegal to be gay. So like, you know, I'd really love to go to Russia, but I go, oh, my gosh, if you Google my name, it comes up how gay I am. Um, and so I go, would that be dangerous? I haven't Googled it, okay. And that's just something yeah. that a lot of people like sort of wouldn't have to think of. Or when I hold my partner's hand down the street, I sometimes we just don't do it because we're not, we're feeling tired that day and we don't want to deal with sometimes the weird looks or I have short hair. Sometimes I've been called dark on the street, even around the inner North. And so those things, um, oh. on the street, like someone just driving by. Oh, drive they were just walking by, by, by and they're like, a, a assault. Um, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, In hipster and, and progressive Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this stuff happens all the time or like, you know, so much with sort of lesbian couples, you get men coming up being like, can I join? Um, or (laughs) I could turn you straight and you go, "Ah, pretty sure you can't, not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't on two counts. (laughs) Um, so I mean, I think, so that's sort of in the outside non-Christian world. And these things happen uh, pretty yeah. regularly. And, I mean, things are so much mm-hmm. better than they used to be. Like I am so privileged to be in this time and place that we are now um, and to have the platform and the support networks and the access to resources that I have now. Um, and it's still sometimes a, a bit hard. You still do, um, you know, the world sometimes still does tell you your relationship is not as good. Um, or, you know, you don't see it on TV as much, or you don't often see healthier, healthy role models on, you know, more and more we are, but it's still like kind of unique to see someone that's a little bit like you on TV. Like, I think I saw, um, a queer, um, priest, a queer pastor on a TV show for the first time. And it was so emotional for me. Cause I was like, 
oh my goodness, I never thought I would see something like that on TV. So I'm really grateful for those steps. But when they happen, it just hits you how rare it is to see, like I, to see someone like you a little bit on TV. Um, and then within the Christian church, unfortunately, um, it can be really hard for LGBT plus folk, for anyone whose um, gender or sexuality um, or just doesn't quite fit a very sort of narrow view, it can be really hard. And what's that narrow view you're talking about? Masculine male, feminine female, yeah, gender roles, yeah. is that kind yeah, of what you're talking about? Um, getting married, popping out kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, sort of doing all of those steps. Um, yeah, it can be really hard. I mean, it can be hard just for single people in our churches sometimes. Um, there are, I think, are a lot of people who are not um, always adequately included in our churches. But, yeah, it can be really hard for queer folk. And we can hear a lot of messages, like, just about how sinful and how broken we are or how, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> and they're some of the nicer things that are said. Um, you know, I've heard about That's how... That's the nicer thing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've sat in talks um, about, you know, how, well, people don't marry walls or Eiffel Towers or, you know... So, because it's unnatural, and so you also don't marry someone of the same sex because that's unnatural. It's not real marriage. Um, so you oh, name it, queer I people. See are, you slipping into a that unique Australian accent there. Yeah, I sorry, I don't know why that's what I do whenever I'm like um, <laughs> pretending to be a man. <laughs> being being discriminatory. It's obviously a bogan. And no, no, I don't know, bogans, bogans are not necessarily discriminatory. discriminatory. I want to just confess that that is just my man accent. Oh. yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Bogans, you're cool. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're fine. Yeah. You're just like everybody The else. best people I know uh, yeah. have accents similar and <laughs> yeah. I apologise to anyone I've offended with that accent. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told I have a strong accent sometimes. Unless you're a worry, bigot, then offended. take it. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> generally, they don't self-identify, but, you know. Uh, okay. No, they don't. So <laughs> what, you're, <laughs> what, you're, what you're unpacking there is is an implicit story that's not just told. Cause I think maybe some people might have the assumption that it's just a religious community that thinks this way. That's telling you the story that you're broken because the Bible outlines it as a sin. And so that mm. being gay is, Except, a, I don't think the Bible does. I will. I think we should definitely get <laughs> to that. I think what you're pulling out there is that society is still, telling that same story outside the church in a secular world where it is you're you're being made to feel as if your relationships are lesser than somebody else's through things like you're saying before you couldn't get married and that sends a signal being like the state won't recognize your relationship as being the same as as another heterosexual married couple. And so you're saying all of those things combine together to essentially tell you the story that you're broken. What impact, I guess, does that story have? Is that the most, is that story the most harmful aspect to this or, or, or is there something missing? Yeah, no. And I think it's our churches that often scream at the loudest. And I think it's, we see it in, 
in the mental health rates of LGBT folk and our and our mental health rates are so much worse if we're part of churches. I'm, I'm going to just speak about the Christian community because that's just where my area of expertise is. Um, and our mental health rates are so much worse if we're a part of um, Christian communities that are not affirming. Um, and, um, and, and why do you think that is? Because the story is so much stronger and explicit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about my own um, journey and, <clears throat> and lots of people I know have, have quite similar journeys. And you sort of grow up being told that it's so sinful and dirty and wrong and you hear that over and over again in lots of different ways. And sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's by that something's a real taboo we don't go there. We don't talk about those people. Um, and you just go, oh, they're, they're bad people. They're out of the church. They're not in the pews next to me. There are people over there and we're not like them. We don't want to be like them. And so then for me to grow up and go, oh, holy crap, I am one of them, was one of the most terrifying and horrific discoveries of my life. Um and that was because I'd sat in so much, like sort of marinade my whole life of hearing about how broken those people were and how the way that they loved and the way that they wanted to have relationships was so wrong and the way that they wanted to express themselves was sinful. And um, that really does profoundly damage you. That's really a lot to recover from. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that kind of messaging is incredibly harmful. Um, and some of us don't survive it. That's, that's the bottom line. One of, um, one of my friends, he, and he went through um, sort of gay conversion therapy for t over 10 years, and it is genuinely a miracle that he's alive. And I don't know how many friends he's lost to suicide, but it's like more than I can count on one hand. And so like, you know, it's not just a sort of a crap theology that we're talking about, but that is, um, I know you had um, Kevin Garcia previously on the show. Um, they're, they're, they're a lovely friend of mine, but that sort of theology does have really dire consequences. And that actually, you know, at worst it, it kills people don't manage to come back from it. Um, and, you know, I'm like one of the best case scenarios. I'm doing really bloody well today. Um, but that's not without a lot of work and a lot of therapy and a lot of support networks and other things. And like, that's our best case scenario. Um, mm. And um, and a lot of people aren't as fortunate or as privileged as I am. And I didn't even go through like formalized conversion therapy. So, yeah, does that – anyway, that's, a, that's probably enough no. for the moment. No, no, that, that's, that's kind of where I was heading. That's, um, how did you end up, if you don't mind sharing, yeah. where you are now? And what I guess what makes your journey unique or different that you suddenly end up as a pastor within a denomination that stereotypically – would reject someone like you and now you're 
in like a leadership role yeah. within an, an organization that stereotypically rejects. I mean, that's the beautiful the thing about the Baptist is that we're so diverse. <laughs> uh, I think we're one of the sort of most theologically diverse um, denominations probably in the world, Victorian Baptists. Um, and it's beautiful and messy and occasionally frustrating. <laughs> I'm sure every, yes. I think everybody finds it so. Um, but I think, and I was re- reflecting on this recently about how I've ended up where I am because I certainly didn't set out to be a pastor. Um, so my father's a pastor. So I sort of, you know, there was no roast into the glasses I had about the no, profession. It was, predest- <laughs> it was predestination from the beginning. <laughs> um, and so, and I think um, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. Um, one is um, my parents have been incredible um, and, and my brothers. So I've got really supportive, immediate family. Um, they had a lot to get their head around, um, but they were supportive and loving from day dot. And they never wavered in that, even while they figured out other things and other beliefs out. And that is not everybody's story. And I think that has profoundly shaped my life. And I'm so grateful for that. And I wish also that wasn't a thing that I had to be like, I'm so grateful my parents love me um, and support me. Because that should be just something that, I, you know, you want everybody to be able to say about their parents. But especially in the LGBT plus community, it's so not the case. And it's unfortunately can actually be kind of rare. Um, and it does make a significant difference. Um, and the other thing um, is I went to um, a beautiful church called Fitzroy North Community Church and I attended there for about four or five years. Um, and when I first went there, I was so burnt out and I was just about ready to wash my hands of any sort of Christian community. Um, and I sort of fell there and um, and I was, it was just, it was such a healing place for me. They really helped to put me back together. And they not only put me back together, but encourage me and um, uh, encourage me in various gifts and things, and you know, let me up the front. and And so, I don't think I would be um, uh, a pastor today if I hadn't um, landed there and been so well supported. So, I think the thing that I found that really makes a significant difference is strong, supportive community. Um, and and where possible, family, um, whether, you know, blood or chosen. On therapy. Sorry. <laughs> therapy. <laughs> I spent so and much therapy. money on therapy. <laughs> and money well spent, you would say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's something I've, I've heavily invested in. I would have so much more money. Um, um, I've gone weekly for the past like few years and it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, and I, and I regret how expensive therapy is for so many people and that makes it so inaccessible. But um, yeah, I'm very grateful that I've been able to um, prioritize that. It really connects these dots that are coming together, as you say, growing up in a society that tells you you're not normal or you're sinful Mm. or at worst an abomination like and you are rejected and generally some people that grow up within churches who are queer might be cast out from their networks dismissed by rejected Mm. by their families and then their church community and then 
the, I guess this, these are the two sides of the coin. You're saying the thing that you experienced differently that got you to where you are today was a supportive community, community of both friends and a church mm. and family. And also, and I can't believe I didn't add this in further, like please take away my pastoring shit, God. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> not to get too gaudy on you uh, but um I think like a real turning point for me as well was I used to cry and pray into the carpet a lot at different points I remember I went through this phase where I was like I've got to get really flat on the carpet like just closer to the floor to show like how sorry and ashamed I am and like um and sort of how you know humble I am just you know just I would just like go right down onto the floor and um, make my carpet quite wet with my tears, just going like, please, God, like take this away from me and then this being my sexuality, you know, take this away from me, um, change me or at least like help me to cope. Like how on earth do I cope with this? Like I don't want to bring this shame on my family. I don't want to lose lots of my friends. I don't want to lose at that time I was in leadership in a conservative Christian community. Um, I don't want to lose all of my networks. And so, you know, I was just so fearful of losing essentially everything. And, uh, mm. and on top of that, I was fearful of, of letting down God and of hell and of, you know, all of, you know, you put that into it as well. And I just was going, change me, take this away from me. And I remember one time instead I just prayed a slightly different prayer. I've been praying that sort of prayer for a long time. And instead I just said, oh God, like help me to cope and also show me what you want. Show me a new way. And I just felt such a peace that I had not felt in all the sort of internal agony of the other prayers of just going, oh, I think there might be a new way. I think I'm finally on the right track in praying this. And it's probably the most spiritual experience of my life. I've never heard a direct voice from God and I've never, um, you know, had sort of any lightning bolt from the skies sort of moment. But that sort of sense of peace um, was some of the most um, glorious and relieving thing that could have ever happened to me and just sort of really helped me to, to set me on and give me the confidence to go, oh, there might be a new way here. Um, so yeah, that was also probably a significant moment. Did you grow up then quite conservative Baptist? If your dad's a pastor, um, what was your childhood religion? Well, I mean, like? I, the, the churches that I grew up in were sort of diverse. So there were quite conservative people in them and some reasonably progressive people as well. So the, there was sort of a mix, which meant I got quite a bit of different messaging. Um, and, um, my dad, um, is not that conservative. He's probably sort of like a middle of the road Baptist or he's, certain, he's probably a bit more progressive these days. Um, but I'm sort of careful of not wanting to speak for him too much. Um, but yeah, he was sort of middle of the road and that church probably was-ish too, although there's some pretty conservative people there. But I actually um, later in my teens got involved in other sort of communities and Christian organisations and I became a lot more conservative than my parents and a lot more evangelical than them. Um, you know, good teenage rebellion. Uh, so, um, suck on that. I'm more conservative. Yeah, yeah. I will. Uh, I will uh, take your conservatism and one up your parents. Um, 
Yes. So, um, yeah, so I, that was um, sort of influential for me, those circles, especially at that sort of, you know, late adolescence time. And so did you grow up then with that narrative of homosexuality is a sin, you can't be gay, and if you are, you need to, I guess, change? Was that the story you heard and received and internalised growing up within? Yeah, I mean, certainly as a child, I just like genuinely just didn't really know of LGBT people. Like they just were not in the church. There was none in my church that I knew of. There probably was some. But there was none in the church okay. that I knew of. I mean, statistically, likely. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I just literally like it just never seemed like an option. So I just uh-huh. it never even like really crossed my mind until I sort of probably joined more conservative communities. Um, and that was talked about a lot more. Um, but it just really like I just never honestly thought of it. It just was like those people over there but certainly not the people in my churches so I just thought well that doesn't happen in the church if you're a good Christian girl you're not gay the two are mutually Uh exclusive Uh right but uh, I got a bit of a shock later on so um (laughs) yeah well I guess if like what happened to your because it's interesting you end up being a pastor now Mm. and I'm wondering if the God you believed in growing up that you were handed by your family in the church growing up and the God you believe in now how has that God changed or the picture of that God changed and what brought that change about um I would still say that there's still a lot of the God that I grew up with Um, but that my image and understanding of God has just gotten so much bigger and broader and more loving, Um, but that there's still a lot of the faith of my my parents and my grandparents in me come from a lot of good Baptist stock, Um, and and, um, they've still been really influential um, in my life. um, I mean, I think of, uh, of all of my grandmothers and, um, you know, their faith have influenced me and still continue to. Um, one of my grandmothers is about to turn 97 this month and she's just a real doer, just keeps on doing things and loving people and is so generous with every little thing she has and she remains an incredible um, influence um, for me. Um, but I think, um, what's happened in more recent years is just, um, a chiseling away of the parts of the images of God I was handed that are not good news, basically. I mean, to be really sort of, um, a cheesy pastor for a moment, you know, gospel, it means good news. Um, And I'm a big believer that if it's not good news, it's not from God. And that doesn't mean that like everything's warm and fuzzy and not challenging all the time because like there is some really challenging stuff in the Bible and there is some stuff I'm really challenged with constantly about, oh, I might need to reconsider this or I might need to live in a slightly different way now or in a really big different way um, 
based on sort of what I'm learning and growing. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think God's become just a much bigger, wider and far more loving um, God than I could have ever imagined and that I still just can't quite comprehend, which is, you know, the thing about God. <laughs> Some people, as they're, as they're listening, they'd be thinking, but how can you be a Christian when the Bible so clearly mm. lays out what a sin is and a sin isn't? And I'm sure you probably got this a multitude of times. Yeah, I run workshops on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sign up. Uh, like, what, when, when, if someone's thinking that as they're listening, they're going, yeah, but it, it says it there and I get that you, your God, you know, is loving and inclusive and okay. It's a bit of a liberal picture of a God now, but I'm not choosing what's in here. This isn't me here, Tish. This is just what the Bible yeah, says. Yeah. How, how, how do you justify that? I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say come and sit down with me and we'll go through those texts together and I'm more than happy to chat about them with you. Um, is what I would say to them. Um, or depending on yes, how tired yeah. I am, I might recommend a book instead because there's only one of me and people ask okay. me these questions a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because yes. you you now have become the authority on all of these. On all these <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think people find one queer Christian and assume that we I speak for all of them. I want to be so clear that I don't. Um, but, um, yeah, and I mean that's something I wrestled with. I mean I thought I had to change. I thought I had to be celibate because that was the messaging that I believed. So I'd say I totally understand why you think that. There's a couple of things that I would sort of say is like one, the word homosexuality didn't enter the Bible until the late nine, until the late 40s. That's a new thing. People often go, oh, this is a sort of a traditional theology. And I go, no, any theology around sexuality is so new. Um, so that's something worth taking into consideration. Like stop going on, oh, this is the most traditional thing. I go, no, the fact you're thinking about it is so new. It wasn't there in Jesus' day as we understand it now. Like the word homosexuality was only invented a couple of hundred years ago. So we're, we're dealing with a new thing and each generation is constantly dealing with new things. You know, previous generations were going, can women preach? Can women be included? Although some are still asking that. <laughs> um, and before that, there was, you know, questions around slavery. Can, can our, are all people created equal? And so we're constantly dealing with new things and looking to this beautiful, messy, ancient text and expecting it to clearly answer you shall do in 2021 exactly this. Um, and sometimes we come to it with slightly unfair questions. Um, but, I mean, also I'm so familiar with the passages that people um, always bring out. We refer to them as the clobber passages because yeah. they're the ones that are, you know, we're yeah. clobbered with. Um, yeah, you know, it'll be, let me try and guess. It's got to be some, uh, something written by Paul. Yeah, Romans 1, 26, 27, and 1 Timothy 1, 10, oh, 1 see, Corinthians 6, 9. I, I could, oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, the Paul yep, you've got, okay. <laughs> okay. I knew, I knew he mentioned something, but continue. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're the Pauline texts. Um, although Romans is not only one that shout, shout out to the women. Um, that's the only time we get a mention. So how exciting. Um, thanks, Paul. Um and then Leviticus 18, 22 and 20, 13, it's a man shall not lie with man as one does with a 
woman. Um, you know, that's an abomination. And then one of them is like, and they should be stoned, and the other one doesn't have the stoning bit. Um, so that one's nice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, um, which, I mean, those two, I think the Leviticus ones I just find so fascinating because what pe- like, as one does with a woman, like, what do they think of women there is always a bit that sort of catches me, like, when people take that and they're like, yeah, I'm fine with it as with a woman, like, as though that's a really bad thing. Anyway, um, I think the main, the main sort of, like, takeaway points that I've learned and how I, I suppose, somewhat um, – uh, look at these texts nowadays because I still think they're they're a part of our tradition. They're a part of sacred scripture, and I'm not denying that. Um, but I think um, it's important to to look at the context, to look at what are the people responding to, what are the questions that this text is actually answering, because it's probably not our modern questions. Like, what is the purpose of it? And sort of when you sit down and and do a lot of the the work, you actually go, hang on. Um, they had no concept of any sort of equal same-sex relationships. It was all about abuse and power. There was no, there was just no concept of any sort of like consenting equal same-sex relationship in 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 biblical times. It just it just there's no literature on that sort of relationship. So the relationships they're condemning. Uh, for example, in the Levitical texts, you know, where it's man shall not lie with man as one does with a woman, they're saying you're putting them in the place of a woman, you're putting them really low, (laughs) which says a lot about what they're thinking about women, but that's something for another day. So they're saying you're putting them, it's really degrading. It was the most degrading thing you could do to a man and they wanted to protect the men. So, of course, you shouldn't do that. Um, Or you look at the sort of... um, sort of the Roman and sort of the Greco-Roman world. And, um, yeah, Roman men, you know, there's a lot of it on pottery. Roman men, Roman citizens did sleep with men. And uh, I had that in quotation marks for the lovely podcast listeners. Um, But they, they were never equal to them. So Roman men could sleep with men, but they're always boys, pederasty. They always, they were either boys, so people who were not yet Roman citizens, so which is, disgusting and obviously should be called out nobody is arguing for that or they were slaves so they're below them they're not roman citizens or foreigners or something but never do you see examples of roman citizens sleeping with another roman citizen in an equal position because that was considered abhorrent it was all about power and not to get too sort of technical but the roman citizen was always the the penetrator like it's it's all about power and position and you know you look at say like Sodom and Gomorrah or one of those sort of I mean that's just a horrific text full stop um and I don't know I just I'm constantly bamboozled um and I think bamboozled is the perfect word for that about how people take that horrific story and um use it as against same-sex marriage um or same-sex relationships um because it's just it like uh, cut me off if I'm going too long about it. But it's one. It's the weirdest stories. There's like angels involved, and angels are visiting. You know Abraham's nephew Lot, and um, 
the people of the surrounding towns, you know, they all want to, um, this is the worst um, uh, snapshot of it ever, so please um, forgive me for this heresy, but, um, and the, all the, and it says all the men of the surrounding towns wanted to have, like, to the, the angels, the men to be sent outside, the men angels to be sent outside so that they could rape them. And so somehow people have taken that and been like, and then later God destroys those two cities because of like their actions and stuff, which is kind of horrific because like, what about the women who are doing nothing wrong there? But well, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. Um, and, and, but, and crazy detail. I, I may be not remembering this right. Maybe I am. Doesn't he send out, send out his daughters to be raped instead? Yeah. Well, he doesn't send them out. He offers them up instead. And that, that like oh, signifies yes. again, like, I mean, one, the incredible low place of women at that time, which is so messed up, but also it signifies how much they valued, like, like that was considered better for them than letting a man under your roof and under your protection be penetrated in that way. That was the worst thing, the most degrading thing that could happen to a man. And I mean, still, um, in a sense today, like in wars, we see like often like, you know, the most horrific things that often happen in wars is not only uh, enemies sort of brutalised, but then they're sexually brutalised as well because that is just considered like the complete, like, I own you. I am more powerful than you. Like that is considered just like the most, and, you know, it's been like that for so long. Um, and so, I mean, it's amazing that people then go, so, uh, God burnt those cities because they were full of gays. And I'm like, one, every man in those city, like, there's no way they were all gay. And they were just like, you know what we really need? We need to go find these angels and all get them. Like, come on. <laughs> we're all, yes. Yeah. You're, anyway. you're essentially like laying out there, essentially saying when, when people talk about that, which I bring it up because that, I feel like that, that will be the main talking point or main opposition to what you're talking about and you're saying to that the bible isn't talking about what you think it's talking about if you look at the historical context and you go into it far enough you'll discover that it isn't actually talking about the thing we call a same-sex monogamous relationship today yeah 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 absolutely i mean really We've just, just got to stop inserting our culture into theirs. That's really what, how we often go wrong is we assume that they're the same as us. And this is an ancient peoples in this. This is over 2,000 years ago and some of it's way older. So people that take those texts and read them in that way, you're saying they're looking at it through their cultural context. Yeah. And obviously it's hard to – it's something you often can't see because it's the way you yeah, see and it's yeah. it's very difficult to see the way you see without being able to see the world a different way. Yeah. It, yeah. So back to then the conversion therapy bill that's been passed and you're talking about it as a step in the right direction yeah. for accepting, normalizing, and saying to a whole community of people in the eyes of the law, because it's a Australia is a secular country where our laws are not necessarily uh, influenced too much by religion, except those who might vote who are religious. Mm. Although, I mean, like our prime minister is a pretty loud Pentecostal, <laughs> so we're still there's still a lot of influence. <laughs> 
That is that is true. That is true. But we did have an atheist. America hasn't had an atheist yet. There we go. Um, so, so what do you think then this bill mm. does and how do you think this bill impacts the Christian world that you're a part of because there's a lot of pushback in the Christian world saying you're taking my religious freedoms this is how they would say and we've just kind of gone through it they would say this is how the Bible is this is what the Bible says I'm just following the Bible and they're talking about this bill as taking away the ability to pray for people to freely choose to be prayed for and change Mm. if they want to change how do you see that view of the bill? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two there's two things that I would say. And the first is, um, yeah, I mean, the arguments they go for are always around sort of um, freedom of religion. But we've, we've always had a sort of freedom of religion curtailed. Like if your religion, you know, if you think your religion says, oh, I can do this, like we're always abiding by the laws of the place in which we are and we're always curtailed by them. Like that's nothing new. Um, and if your religion is causing you to significantly harm someone, like you shouldn't have the freedom to do that. So it's not so much a freedom of religion. It's, and, and also, it's also like, what about LGBT people of faith and their freedom to practice their religion without being significantly harmed? Um, so it's a, it's, it's actually, I think a bill that helps protect freedom of religion because it's, helping people to practice um, their religion in ways that are less harmful. And that's a great thing. As a pastor, that's something I celebrate. I do not want to hurt the people in my community. Um, And so actually I think it's encouraging us to do better. Um, And, yeah, I mean there have always been different things like, that you know the, that we don't have a freedom to just harm people basically is what I would say there and then the other the other one I've seen is a lot of going oh but if people really want to go to conversion therapy or they really want somebody to pray the gay away with them every week why can't they do that um and 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 I also then see a lot of um clergy and Christian leaders and Christians sort of afraid of going oh if I preach this or if I pray that am I going to get like arrested or something and it there's pretty significant things that have to be proven for there to be any consequences and most of them actually the consequences suggested are not like locking you up they're like sort of mediation or warnings or other things and you have to prove sustained harm over quite a significant period of time Um, So if your ministry is doing provable, sustained harm over a period of time, you're doing something really wrong. That's not just a simple prayer or a crappy sermon. That's like actually something pretty significant. And if you think you're going to be doing that, yikes, you've got to take stock. (laughs) That's terrifying. Um, But the other oh, sorry, one more. (laughs) The other thing I'd say about um, people saying, I would say that actually you can't really consent to conversion therapy. And I get that's a little bit contentious because a lot of people are sort of saying, you know, if they're adults, if they want to attend conversion therapy, they should be able to go, you know, adults can do all sorts of things for themselves. Like even if you think it's a wee bit harmful, you know, 
adults can smoke and adults can drink. And I'm like, yeah, but your pastor shouldn't be telling you to smoke and drink. But that's another thing. Um, although, you know, a little bit of red wine, fine for the antioxidants, yada, yada. No. <laughs> um, but like when you've marinated your whole life in a theology that tells you that you're broken and that you're disordered and the only way for you to be loved by God not and not to go to hell and to be accepted by your community and really your whole world, which often church communities can be or can feel like to us, is if you fix this issue, of course you're going to want to go and fix it. Like it's a no-brainer, but it's not an informed consent. It's somebody having no other option than to think that they've got to fix that part of themselves because they've been told that if they don't, they're going to hell or something else. So I would say that it's not really informed consent and we know the outcomes of conversion therapy and they're awful. We know that they bear bad fruit. And, you know, Matthew 19 tells us a good tree, good preaching bears good fruit and bad tree, bad preaching bears bad fruit. And the fruit from conversion practices is shit fruit. It's really bad so you know for me it's a bit of a no-brainer but that's my sort of passionate ramble on it <laughs> yeah because you're you, you picked up on my next point and articulate quite well because the the people are like martin niles at the acl posting all those youtube videos uh which is very much opposing and saying yes my freedom of religion will now be curtailed my expression of my faith will be curtailed because i believe that homosexuality is a sin and if someone because that was the argument they make which you addressed which was if somebody who is an adult chooses for me to pray for them and they want to change and change their sexuality i will be in trouble now if i do that it sounds as if what you're saying is well if it's proven that you have caused sustained harm to that person really hard then which which would be probably in a court of law, it sounds very difficult to prove, especially when you're talking about like psychological harm yeah. and not something ob- as obvious as physical harm with so many different factors. But I think there is there is some level of there's two things I want to put pull out. Mm. I'm seeing a difference in how let's say conservative Christians view homosexuality mm. and a difference in how you are seeing homosexuality and the queer community in general. Because it sounds to me, as I listen to the Martin Isles of the Australian Christian Lobby and I hear their case, it sounds as if, as you hear him talk, he says, people can change and people can freely choose to enter those practices and I believe they can change. And so he's entering, essentially saying, I believe God can heal someone from the sin of being gay and i believe that that's possible Mm. but it sounds like what you're saying is you disagree with the premise that says okay number one there's nothing wrong with us and me Mm. so god there is nothing for god to change here Mm. and it sounds like there's this view of within the church and maybe i'm butchering it because i'm just trying to guess at the argument here i think it's around some level of being gay as as a choice because mm. it's it's interesting that you're a pastor of a church because most churches and Christian schools say if you're a practicing homosexual you can't be a teacher you can't 
uh, be a pastor. You can't be. How funny is that word practicing though? <laughs> it just makes me, it always <laughs> makes me every time I hear it. Practicing homosexual and I'm like, I've got it perfect by now. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, well, I, I introduce myself all the time and I say, I'm a, I'm a practicing heterosexual. It's just, I, I just Thanks find it the funniest everybody. language. No, and I have no problem with you using it in that context. Like I totally get it. That's what they say. Oh, I just think it's hilarious. But that's, that's how they use it essentially. So it seems to me as I watch these arguments play from the outside, it sounds as if, if I'm going, okay, why can't they hold leadership positions? Why can't they? Um, because, you know, people sin all the time, like pastors sin as, as, as church pastors, teachers sin all the time. Mm. Although they would say I'm constantly like choosing to sin and choosing a lifestyle of sin. Okay. And I, I think that's what I was getting to. It's almost as if, mm. and, and they always come short of saying it, but it seems as if on some level to them being gay is a choice. Oh, it's yeah, like you yeah, can just yeah. simply choose not to. Whereas it sounds like what you're saying is this is part of who I am. It's something that isn't broken. 10% of the population uh, ex- it, uh, like express sexuality like this. So there's nothing to be fixed. There's nothing to be broken. So therefore, if you're telling a story as a part of a church community that says you are broken and wrong, you're saying that is harmful. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially like I'll address maybe both how I think change is harmful and then I also how I think maybe mandated celibacy is harmful if that's okay and if I have time and I'll try to be Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, but I think, yeah, that narrative of change is really harmful because a lot of us like believed it and really tried it and it doesn't work. And I've seen folks like, you know, they're told if they get married, if they do all of those things, God will bless them and it will happen for them. And they try and they swallow that lie and they try for decades and it doesn't work. And there is, and I, I promise you, they tried. Um, and, and I can't not listen to those people and those stories. That would be so dishonouring to them. And there were so many of them. I mean, Exodus International was the largest ex-gay organisation in the world. And their leader has come out and said, yeah, 99 point something percent of people did not change. We were not successful and we were the biggest and the best at it. And I put best in quotation marks there. And so we know it doesn't work. And so maybe you find one story of change every now and again and that person sticks to that story. And I question, and, and I don't want to sort of, you know, cast too much doubt on that story, but you know, you should never take one story that you've found and then apply it to every single other person and assume it's going to work. That's dangerous and it's harmful and it doesn't. We've seen we've seen what happens. It doesn't work. And instead we have these people, you know, later um, coming out so much later in life and with such worse mental health outcomes or um, such a hatred for the church that put them through that and the people that put them through that and such grief and trauma and loss. Um, so we know that change doesn't work um, because, yeah, I mean, ex-gay organisations shut down for a reason because they were crap and their failure rate was astronomical. Um, and then and then what happened is increasingly people went, all right, so we're realising change is a little bit harsh and it's not working as much, although some people, you know, are real uh, quite tenacious and they hang on to it. Um, they're going, all right, change doesn't work. So you know what? We're going to be a bit nicer, a bit warmer, a bit fuzzier. We're going to pop celibacy on the end. 
because celibacy is a thing in the Bible. Mm. We're going to put celibacy on the end because that can be a choice. Yeah, we're going to be like, I. You can choose not to act on your sexuality. You can be celibate for yeah. life. Um, yeah, and you know that's not that harmful, right? Just asking you to not have sex, and I think, yeah, sure, I, I could go the rest of my life without sex. That's fine. But what you're actually telling me is that the way that I love and the way Mm. that I'm wired is broken and disordered and wrong, and that's still really harmful. It's about so much more than just sex and sexual acts. Um, And Mm. that really hurts people. And also it's so not the way that the Bible talks about celibacy. Celibacy is always referred to as a gift, as something that some people are given and some people are not given. (laughs) And so for us to go, actually, we mandate it to this whole group of people is uh, kind of, I think, unbiblical, if I can use that uh, very contentious word <laughs> that's often used at me. Um, so Fire it back. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, that's uh, that's the problem I have with both of those. Yeah, the when you said celibacy, telling someone you can't have sex, when you just said that is saying or commenting or mandating the way that you love, I think that highlights something very interesting to me that I see is that the religious worldview and the religious, I'll say Christian because I'm not well-versed enough in other religions, <laughs> uh, Christians in general would say that sex is more than just sex. They rail against the porn industry. They rail against the secularization, the commodification of sex, Mm -hmm. the fact that sex is on billboards. Females, like a woman's body is used to sell and now increasingly a man's body is used to sell Mm -hmm. and it's just commodification of all. And, And the Christians would say, no, there's something sacred about sex. And I think you said it quite well in saying sex is part of the way that you love. So what's interesting in your argument that you're putting forward there, at its core, it's a religious idea that even the people who oppose you, in order for th- in order for that mandate to come and say, okay, well, then you can be gay, but you can't have sex. In some sense, it seems as if they must reduce sex to just sex yeah. and, say, and say the way that you love isn't good, and yeah, they're saying the way that you love isn't good. And if they're not saying that, then they're saying, well, it's just sex anyway, you can do without it. Whereas you're still holding to that Christian idea saying sex is part of how we love. Yeah. Yeah. It's one, it's one, it's one, um, it can be one expression of it. Um, but like, yeah, I think sexuality is so much more than just about sex, but, um, we're often so reduced just to like sexual acts like and it's like uh and it's so like and to what happens in the bedroom or whatever other room in the house or um and and it's and that's and I just find that so odd because I go like you know my relationship is about so much more than like um you know just sort of physical attraction or other things and like our relationships are about so much more than that. Um, and yeah, so I think, yeah, I think, I think it's an important point. I want to, I want to always put forward the best argument that I can think of 
for the opposing sides. Yeah, go for it. And maybe you'll what change, I, maybe I'll I, change my mind. <laughs> hey, maybe I'll convince you. Um, what I hear from uh, those who are, uh, who, I guess, le- uh, lobby against this bill that has passed, so I guess mm. lobbying didn't work, uh, but those that lobby against it, they say, okay, the problem isn't that who's like they do agree like even Martin Oz of the Australian Christian Lobby he agrees that he's like gay conversion therapy practices are abhorrent they're abomination we shouldn't be doing them and then he also says and we don't do them like on on average we and and it, he's talking about different definitions right he's like so this is what i define as this yeah. and we don't do the really the really obvious really electrotherapy <laughs> and i define them much broader and so i would say actually we do them and we do them a lot <laughs> so we disagree there <laughs> yes and so he would critique your definition and he's yeah, saying he you've broadened it and he's saying that you're broadening it to a point where and I wonder if he has a point in this, and I wonder what you make of that, where he says, you've broadened it to a point where it now includes prayer. It now includes very subtly, but they've picked up on it and are panicking because of it, very subtly, the story that says to you, Tish, you are broken and not the way God intended. And I wonder if the bill, I don't know enough, I'm not a lawyer, but I wonder if the bill does exactly what the Christian lobbies fear is that it is requiring them to rethink and think twice about the story that is subtly told through prayers, through subtle conversion practices, which may just be, let's pray for you and let's give some Bible studies and support groups of people who are wanting to remain abstinent. Let's cast these demons out. Yeah, that's right. Let's cast these demons out. And I wonder if, if this bill, when they did make that uh, definition broad, which I'm gathering you're a fan of, as it broadens this mm. conversion therapy practices to those things we've just discussed, that it does actually force Christians to now think twice and think very carefully about adhering or participating in the telling of a story that says you, teach are not what God intended. Um, I agree and I disagree. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, um, they've still got an incredible amount of freedom to preach whatever they want to hold to that. They would refer to it as a traditional view. I would probably say more conservative, um, that conservative view. They can preach that, um, they can still pray with people. Um, but. Um, yeah, I hope it's made people pause and think about actually the significance of what they're doing and what they're participating in. And I think partially it's really concerning if it takes legislation for you to think about the effect of your ministry on other folk. If it's a legislation that makes you do that and you're not constantly sort of looking within yourself and looking at the people that you're caring for, um, then I think that's a significant cause for concern. Um, and I think, yeah, so they can still get at the front and they go, I believe same sex marriage is an abomination. There is nothing stopping them from doing that, um, in that legislation. Um, there's nothing stopping them from holding their beliefs. There's nothing stopping them 
from praying with people. But if I was to say you came to me and said, Tish, actually um, I'm not feeling so hetero and I go, all right, we'll sit down and pray and I'm going to pray that you'll heal from this. Yeah, if I consistently did that with you and I can guarantee it would pretty much have some psychological impact on you after a while. Um, yeah, you could mm-hmm. you could come and, um, you know, um, approach um, folks at the big government about that. Um, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. be jailed unless I, like, did some really, like, crap stuff and continued to really do some crap stuff. Like, you've got to work really mm-hmm. hard to get seriously in trouble by this legislation. Like, you'd have to be working uh-huh. so, so hard. Um, uh-huh. So I think there's still an incredible amount of freedom that folks have and there's still an incredible mm-hmm. amount of prayer that we could do. Like, I could still sit down and pray with you and go, I'm going to pray that God shows you the right path forward or I'm mm-hmm. going to pray that you have courage and faith throughout this. But I just can't, mm. like, there's still so many things I could pray. Like, just get creative with your prayers, people. Um, there's still so many ways I could pray. You've just given them a ticket out. <laughs> Even if I sort of maybe sort of thought that you changed, but I can't just sort of push my agenda onto you. Um, but I can come alongside you and pray alongside you. And, um, and that's just a bit of a difference there. Um, and I could say, I could say, I think it's a sin. If you came to me and you go, Tish, what's your honest opinion? I could say, I think this is the traditional biblical view. That's okay for you to express your opinion. Hmm. I actually didn't think of this, but as you were talking about that, when you're saying get creative with your prayers, it's an idea that I think is not controversial because I think I could safely say 100% of Christians would agree with this idea that would say we want God's will, not our own. Yeah, pray for that instead and she will surprise you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's the interesting non-controversial takeaway. That is, is like we all must entertain if we are Christians the idea that we don't know really all like 100% what God wants. Mm. And as soon as we become very adamant about that, we're probably walking a bit of a dangerous line as to putting our will above God and Christians would be very hesitant to want to do that. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting that it, it's almost like you've offered an improvement to everyone's prayer always in saying, well, if I believe God is all powerful and God is all knowing and, and God is all these things that I believe, then surely God just help. Yeah. That way that's all we're asking Go for. Go for that if you're really worried and, about saying something else. And, and it, like, it sounds like a, even maybe a more sound theological prayer. Mm. That I mean, that, you know, it's in the, Lord's, the end of the Lord's prayer, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if... What if the bill does everything that they fear? Let's say, because you're saying, okay, you, it's like it's not as serious as everyone's saying. But what if, like, what if it is? What if it does require the church to, to reassess this stance like once upon a time it had to reassess its position on slavery? Yeah, or women. How or, would you? Although, you know, yeah, like I said earlier, people are right. coming around. Yeah, yeah. If, if the bill did do that. I mean, I don't think it would ever be a bill that would do that. Um, I think for me, how I changed, because I I held that conservative viewpoint of I've got to change or I've at least got to be celibate for life. And 
what and then I was studying an arts degree at the time and I was like well I've got to be like a good arts student and research the opposing science so that I can stand firm against it um and yet when I researched more and more and more and I read more and more and more stories and I heard more and I and it was what I've been told was wishy-washy crappy theology cherry picking theology um you know that had no biblical basis instead what I found there was actually more of God in my opinion, um, I saw a God that was more loving than I could ever imagine. I saw, um, and I saw really sound theology that had integrity, that was, that held up. And I, I kept trying to argue against it because I wanted to. I did not want to move over to an affirming theological stance. That meant upsetting my life incredibly. I really did not want to. Um, but in my opinion, I saw God there. And I would read stories of, of folks who had also found God there. And I started meeting sort of more queer Christians and I went, oh, my goodness, I can see God in you and in your relationships and in the way that you love. And I just could no longer, and I felt myself really grumpily, moving over so I think what changes people is um, stories is having being willing to sit down and hear more and more things theology and stories and I mean that's what theology is it's stories about God um, and um, so I think what changed me was was just learning more um, and and being open and really grumpily moving over and going, I might be wrong, and having the courage to say, I might be wrong. Oh dear, <laughs> but actually following up that I might be wrong, <laughs> uh, which was terrifying. So your view of God through your own journey of moving from a theologically conservative position to a theologically affirming position, you're describing a picture of God that grew more loving and more inclusive and more open and towards more freedom. Mm. And it sounds like... And I found a gospel that was good news for all and not exclusive. (laughs) Mm. And I think that is the hard indictment that will be difficult for some people to sit with and digest, but as friends of the show, I'm sure they're sitting with it and digesting <laughs> well, it. Well, Danica's made but, it this far. The hard... <laughs> and if they have, you're in the Hall of Fame. Well done. Send me a message. But the the hard indictment that it seems what you're, what, how you see them, you know, how you see the religious people that might be not affirming theologically, it sounds like you're saying... It's a gospel for some and it's not the gospel for others. And to be blunt, it sounds like you're saying you don't care enough about the LGBT plus community. You don't care enough that suicide rates are really high, that depression rates are really high. You don't care enough when we're coming forward telling you our stories, how these practices and this narrative of us being broken is hurting us Mm. and harmful. That really is a, 
that's a hard thing, I think, for people to hear, especially a Christian community that wears the badge of we love, we follow Jesus and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And it sounds like you're saying you don't love those neighbors mm. and these practices hurt us. And if you loved us truly, you would be open to doing anything to help or to stop harming or hurting us. Mm. Mm. And, and that love looks like love feels like love. <laughs> Cause often people are like, love the sinner, hate the sin. And I can tell you right now that does not feel loving. And the people that often say that are not actually acting in the most loving way. Um, it feels judgy and it feels like there's a but after your love. I love you, but. And instead just say, I love you. We know when you don't accept our relationships, you don't need to constantly remind us. <laughs> we don't forget. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think we, we need to stop putting the butts after I love you <laughs> um, and either just love us well or maybe keep, keep a little away if you can. Because <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I guess that's what they would say. We had friend of the show, Adam, Southern Baptist, friendly, loving guy, uh, Southern Baptist. I say loving, lovely guy. My, uh, my fellow Baptist uh, brother. Yes, from the Southern. Yes, yes. From the Southern of the United yeah, States. Yeah, we probably and sit he... on slightly different... Um, Theological positions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, and he would say, as I spoke to him, his perspective was, I believe you're going to hell, Tish. Yeah. He obviously didn't say Tish because he doesn't know you. No. And so he would say, the most loving thing I can do is to say, Tish, you're going to hell. Stop what you're doing. Mm, mm. That's kind of what they would say. And if that's your worldview then I do see the logical conclusion that says, yeah. well, do you, like, if I care about you, I don't want you to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So what? Yeah, yeah. no, I totally get that. If you think God burns people forever and ever and ever, I totally understand mm. how you want to tell them. Um, and if you think that the way that I live um, is sending me to a place that burns me forever and ever and ever, I totally get how you'd want me to avoid that. Um, but gosh, your God sounds awful what a mean god that burns people forever and ever and ever um i'm not really interested in that god <laughs> um and um and and i would say like where does jesus say that in the bible like when we look at the way that jesus responds to people um the only people he ever gets like really angry at other religious leaders so <laughs> we're, we're the ones who need to be particularly careful I think um people come up to him in all sorts of lifestyles and other things and he doesn't respond with anything but love and grace and I think we've we've become that instead of responding to people with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and that's the way that we reach out to people a lot of folks have gone, instead, I'm going to make you fear for your life and your soul and your eternity. And that that's why you should be interested in this God thing or in God. Um, and that's not what we see, or that's not what I see. I'll own my bias here. That's not what I see Jesus doing. Um, Jesus never has anybody come to him and he goes, turn or burn. 
<laughs> that ain't in the gospel. And so I would say, like, actually, that's not the example that we're given for responding to people in a loving way. It's to heal. It's to teach. It's to to walk alongside. Um, it's to listen to. Like, you know, like, why do you come to me is something, you know, Jesus would say. Not, have I got a message for you? <laughs> It'd be like, why do you? ask me for this or like wow you've got faith or like <laughs> so I just I just think like sort of going hey I want to tell you this in a loving way but I think you're going to hell is not actually something that we have a precedent for and uh having received that message a lot like I know when you think it I know what you think I don't need you to say it to me again I've heard it a million times um so that's probably how I'd mostly respond to that mm. I am curious, and maybe some listeners would be curious to know, what is it like being a pastor with a partner? Oh, yeah, good, good question. Because um, I grew up in a liberal strand of a pretty conservative Protestant denomination, and even you know, I probably went to I went to Hillsong conferences and all of these things, and you'd be like, you'd see women up the front, but you know they're not ordained, and so. Even in liberal circles, I, I think having someone from the queer community being a pastor, even um, I'm actually like like a Baptist denomination to do that. I'm like, man, what's happened? I blinked and what did I miss? Yeah, well, I do think I'm the only one in, in the state. <laughs> I don't know if there's any others in the rest of the country in terms of like out queer and affirming Baptist pastors, let alone yeah. partnered. Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a unique position for my partner to be in. Um, yeah. Um, and I was so clear when I was sort of like being interviewed for the position and doing that really long sort of discernment process with mm -hmm. the church that like we're not a package deal, like they're not getting a pastor and a pastor's wife. <laughs> um, she's got her <laughs> own life and her own commitments and like if she ever does anything lovely, what a bonus. But that you know it's not yeah. a it's not a two for one deal buy one get one free um, <laughs> it's how pastors come so got out <laughs> which of that is one. like yeah which is what often happens um i think and like that's great for those that that can do it and that that find joy in doing that like amazing um but yeah uh th there was yeah the, the church has been nothing but wonderful to me and to my partner um and uh so what's unique and about very that reasonable church, expectations of both of us <laughs> Sorry? Hmm. What's unique about the church you go to then? Is it doctrinally different? Is it just full of super like progressive Melbourne hipsters? Or, like, <laughs> no, it's mostly older what's people. The... <laughs> mostly like yeah, what's retirees. The difference then? Okay. There, there, is, there is younger people as well though. We're, we're cool, I promise. No. <laughs> <laughs> Please come young people. No. Um... <laughs> You are a pastor. There's the desperate plea for young <laughs> yeah, people yeah, we've yeah. all been waiting for. <laughs> You'll be warmly welcomed. Um, and also if you're older. Um. How's your potlucks? Pretty good. Oh, I'm in. Pretty excellent. Morning teas are going to be pretty good. We had some delicious soup and bread after the service today. It was pretty great, I tell you what. Um, I'm in. Uh, I so totally forgot the question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. What, like, 
what what's different about the church that you pastor? Oh, good question. I presume I presume it's independent, and I've as I've learned, a lot of Baptist churches are independent Baptist churches and kind of belong to the broader. We're part of the Baptist Union of Victoria. Um, and, and that's more like a membership, though. Do yeah, they I mean, control each pastor in <laughs> each church? Um, yeah, like they have some. They have some oversight and sort of like accountability. Like I can't start. Like if I started preaching that Jesus was a toad, um, they'd probably have some things to yes. say. Um, but the, I mean, that's the yeah. beauty of the Baptist tradition is there's an incredible amount of diversity, and we have some some core beliefs. Um, but they're pretty minimal. It's sort of, you know, stuff like God is God, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity type stuff, you know, stuff that we can all get around. Um, but then there's sort of this sort of Baptist idea of you're free to um, respond to your own community and that will look different. Every response will look different because you're in a different community. Um, and so being in St Kilda, I mean, you know, what a suburb. Um, it's no surprise we're a bit progressive. Look at the rest of St Kilda. We fit right in. <laughs> um, you know, look at the history of St Kilda. Um, could we be anything but if we were really, you know, in and of that suburb? Um, and and so, yeah, I think I think my church is unique in a lot of ways, but I think also, like, in some ways, I think we're we're almost a little bit conservative, dare I say. I mean, we do things like feed people who are hungry. We have a big sit-down meal once a week where we feed about 100 people. Now in COVID times, it's a lot more takeaway, uh, 70 to 80, but we, we do that faithfully every week because we think, you know what, we're, we're called to feed the hungry. That's a good thing to do. Um, we've got flats that the church owns that now house asylum seekers because I think, you know, we're called to, um, you know, if people need houses, try to help. What's a more vulnerable population group at the moment than folks who are seeking asylum in this country um and so i think in that way we're sticking pretty close to like a lot of the stuff you see asked to do in in the gospel um i think we're mostly kind of putting our money where our mouth is although you know we're not perfect and we're messy and you know we get things wrong and we make mistakes and hopefully we learn and grow from them and try to do better next time but um yeah i think we're like a pretty sort of um, almost like kind of, dare I say, missional community, but maybe just not in the way that other people think of what that sort of phrase means. Mm. I think what I'm hearing there is that I was expecting some doctrinal difference or some theological idea that is different, but it makes more sense as what you're saying there that the St Kilda community, your church reflects the community and maybe that's something to think about. Our churches might more resemble our society and our community more than we think they more than we think they do. We might think that the church is separate, and and no, no, it's not the society, the external society. No, no, we operate differently, mm -hmm. and we're not part of it. But I wonder if our churches are more influenced where culture meets religion it seems that culture wins. And in your example, it seems that win has pushed a conservative religion or at least a religion that's pushed against affirming LGBT plus community members. It's pushed it to a point where it can now 
accept someone that they didn't previously accept. Well, yeah, but I think it's also just come from like trying to live out what does it mean to love God and then love our community well. And this is where St Kilda has landed because what we do and, and sort of who we are and who we affirm is, is how we interpret sort of the mandate of loving your neighbour and of loving God well, you know, who are my neighbours, who are my brother and sisters, you know, did you feed me when I was hungry? You know, did you visit me when I was in prison? Like all of those things. So I think it at once, you know, certainly we're shaped by the culture around us. How, how can you not be? Anybody who says they're not is just, you know, telling a porky. Um, but I also think that it's sort of profoundly shaped by the life and ministry of Jesus as well. Um, and by sort of doing our best and, um, yeah, definitely doing our best. We don't always get it right of going, well, what does it mean to love the people in St Kilda and how can we best serve them um, and how can we best love and serve God? And, you know, some of the things we're doing are some of the ways in which we think maybe is a good way to do that. Mm. Tish, thanks so much for taking so much time to talk to me. Is there anything you want to say to to kind of wrap up or anything you think you missed or want to address? Um, I think like one thing, like um, I'm like a cis lesbian woman, so I will sort of probably acknowledge that I've, I've definitely come from that perspective today. So just like a shout out to all the other letters of the alphabet that like I haven't really touched on very well today because that's not my my personal experience. But like, you know, I'm so aware lately, especially of um, of my trans pals, like just having a really rough time. Like it seems like people are slightly um, getting better with, with the L and the G and a little bit the B, although that's still mm-hmm. often kind of a bit erased. Um, but mm-hmm. we're not so good with other letters. And, um, and so, mm. yeah, basically to, to all of my, um, to all the trans folk out there, I just want to like, especially affirm like you're beautiful and loved and, um, yeah, I feel like we don't say that enough. <laughs> Maybe just do a, a plug for like Q life or something. If anybody's sort of been triggered by anything today. Um, call sort of like um, Q Life or sort of, you know, Beyond Blue or um, Switchboard or maybe I'll send you them or something. Pop in a description. Yeah, I can, I can put it in the, in the description yeah, below yeah, for sure. Yeah. If people want to get a hold of you and your work or visit yeah, your church or your potluck. Yeah, just Google Baptist Church and I come up. Please be nice to me though. <laughs> I think hope so come on guys sometimes people send me that's not why we're here (laughs) yes yes put that in the spam folder (laughs) tish thank you so much for taking so much time to to talk to me today and to share your experience and be just open and honest as we kind of explore the minefield of ideas that keep dividing us if you are still here and perhaps you're listening and you're like tish i disagree with everything you're saying i you know, I still disagree then, and you're still listening, then send me a message on Instagram and say, listen, I disagreed with everything and I made it to the end. Congratulations. You're in the Hall of Fame. Well done. Well done. Uh, kudos and tokens to you. You've just participated in the Artist Digest practice. If you're listening, you're going, I agree with everything. Send me a message as well. But, you know, it's a bit easier to listen to stuff you agree with. But thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you here. If you would like to contact me, Instagram, 
at Artist Digest. Email artistdigest at gmail.com. Uh, rate and review the podcast. One star if you want. I've got one of those. So, you know, maybe more fives to balance it out would be nice. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you in the next episode.